who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Going off the grid means much more than having to just delete your Instagram profile. It's episode 421 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. You might have heard that Eraser was being reborn, and that's right. Eraser Reborn going to be on Blu-ray and Digital HD on Tuesday from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. That's June the 7th, by the way. And I just happen to have Jackie Lai joining me this week, who's one of the stars of the movie, and she's got some really, really good insight on in how this movie's been updated and how it makes sense for 2022 and modern audiences. And so, talking about some of the great action scenes that she gets to be a part of as well. So we'll dive into Eraser Reborn with her. And as far as reviews go, yep, you've been waiting for my review of Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 1. I'll be doing that with spoilers coming up. The first three episodes of The Boys premiering. On Prime Video, you maybe haven't gotten a chance to see that yet, though, so I'll go spoiler-free on my review of that. Yeah, the Gotham Knights trailer, you've been talking about it on social media. I'll weigh in on that as well. Also going to be talking about The Princess from Hulu, Oni Thunder God's Tale from Netflix, which is something brand new that's going to be coming out, The Hunger Games prequel, adding another name to the cast. I'll talk about that, and a big shake-up at Warner Brothers Pictures. Going to talk about that on the show as well. Remember, if you like the show, if you love the show, make sure you're subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to us. Make sure you're subscribing and tell a friend too. By the way, if you don't follow us on social media, at Down and Nerdy 757, I've been doing some giveaways on there, and that's for new and existing subscribers, by the way. So you just have to follow the instructions on how to enter, and if, if it's stuff that you already do, all you have to just do is say, hey, I want to enter this. 
and that's just, and you get extra entries for already doing what I asked you to do on the post in the first place. So if you want some cool giveaways, did one do one for the boys this week. Last week it was Stranger Things, and this week, oh well, who knows what it's gonna be. It'll be something good though, something you want. That much I can tell you. Let's get the show started though, shall we? Jackie Lai joins me next to talk about Eraser Reborn on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is Jessica Lucas from Gotham on Fox, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. You might remember a movie called Eraser from 1996. Well, guess what? It's back. Eraser Reborn kind of reinvents everything, and boy, does she have a big, big part in that. It's Jackie Lai. Jackie, how you doing? How are you? Doing very, very well. Now, this is, like I said, a reboot of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from 1996. Of course, Vanessa Williams was in that as well. It feels like it would be a lot harder, though, Jackie, to erase someone now with phones everywhere. You've got social media presence and things like that. So how do you feel like this movie updates the story for a modern world? Well, exactly like what you're saying. Social media is such a big presence in our day, in our day to day that in order to erase somebody, we have to account for that. And then in order to fabricate a new person, we have to account for that as well. So it's crazy that nowadays, in order for someone to be real, you have to have a social media presence. So, you know, using technology and, and am I allowed to say this? I guess bots. In the film, we were able to modernize the process of erasing someone. It worked out really, really well, too, as there was a lot of clever things in that, of course, where I can't talk about it either because I'm not going to spoil anything. But <laughs> yeah. uh, you also got to work with Dominic Sherwood a bit when you're both on Shadowhunters. And, of course, you guys starring together in this. So how excited were you to actually get a chance to work with him again? Oh, I was so excited. I actually, as, as soon as I found out, I messaged him and I said, a little birdie told me that you're going to be... Pollard and he's like how did you know because I don't think he knew yet who they had chosen but yeah and then we kept each other updated along the way before actually meeting up in South Africa so it was really nice it's like a little catch-up have you guys actually gotten any response from like this the the shadow hunters fandom of that are already just excited for this thing just because just because you guys have that connection yeah definitely I think um, a lot of the shadow hunter fans were really excited to know that uh, we're coming back together and we're so lucky I mean in some of my other projects too. A lot of the Shadowhunter actors that I've worked with are on the same show and it's it's always really nice to be able to work with someone you've worked with before and know that you guys get along and Shadowhunters has such an amazing fan base that we're lucky to have them and for them to follow us on all the, the journey to come. Creates a really good chemistry too and that's always a good thing when everybody's comfortable. Now Jackie, Rena might be in trouble in this thing, but she's no damsel in distress either, which I really, really love. So how would you describe her to anybody that's coming into this thing fresh? You know, I've used this a lot while I was prepping her and I don't know if it makes any, any sense, but I feel like she's kind of a glamorized street rat <laughs> in the sense that she looks interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. She, you know, she looks a certain way, but really deep down she's, lived on the streets she's you know she's had to be resourceful with what was given to her and her circumstances and doing what she can and and collecting what she can in order to be who she is and fight for what she she believes in she's crafty too which i really really love she's she's very yeah. very clever and you guys will see that when you watch this thing now <laughs> jackie these scenes where people get erased can actually be kind of intense and you 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 kind of expect that a little bit what was it like to shoot that first scene where where rena gets erased until like hear that classic line for the first time from <laughs> 
it was really cool to be honest with you. I was like, Dom, you did it so well. <laughs> it's, it's amazing what they did. And as you saw in my, she was my stunt double, what they did to her face. I mean, to see that. And she was walking around set with it on. It was very creepy. That's uh, not weird at all. No. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, they were contemplating uh, working with a dummy, but instead they used a real person, which I find so much more fascinating to be able to have a real person play the part of a deceased person. It's just scarier. But yeah, that was really cool and really creepy. <laughs> No doubt about that. Even though he's trying to help her, Mason, what he's doing, it's pretty intense. And he has, you know, it's a little bit of a tough sell when you're saying, hey, I'm going to erase you and, and do all this stuff. How would you describe that relationship between the two of them in the early going? And maybe there's some trust issues there. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be careful with what I use because I can often give too much detail. Yeah, there's definitely trust issues. I can speak from my side, which is she doesn't trust anyone. I mean, there's there's people that come along and, and try to help her and yet she's always hiding something from someone. So there's a lot of mind games going on to still get to her goal with all of the kind of spontaneous things that come along during her journey. That made perfect sense. Once you see that, once you see the movie, that will make perfect sense. She didn't spoil anything either. Talking to Jackie Lai from <laughs> Racer Reborn, which of course you can get on Blu-ray and of course digital HD as well on June the 7th. Now, Jackie, based on the trailer, it seems like it's not just one threat we got going on here, but two threats that they're running from as well. So how much of the odds really stacked against them? And do you, which threat do you think is the more like pressing threat for Jackie? I mean, for Rena, it's it's hard to say because I think in her world she's seen she's seen the worst from both sides, you know, from the legitimate and the illegitimate worlds. And so I think for her, everything is so real. It's hard to say that one or the other, and I think that's why she's always in such a self-preserving mentality that she can't really trust anybody. Everything her entire life has been a threat. Boy, is that such a, such a good way to put it. There's so there's some pretty solid action scenes in this thing here too, Jackie, which I really love, especially the end. Again, no spoilers, but wow. Okay, so did you get to do a lot of your own stunts? Is there any one in particular that was really cool for you that you got to do? Of course, tap dancing, not doing any spoilers here for that one. Yeah, for sure. I love doing stunts. That's what I realized doing Shadowhunters as well as um, Eraser is I love getting into the fight mode. I like the way it feels. You know, you get to know the character better and the way that she moves and, and how it connects with you. We prepped to do everything. So every crazy thing that you saw, we were prepared to do it. I mean, even the crazy jumps, all of that. However, due to insurance reasons, there are things we weren't allowed to do. But I think one of the craziest things was in the last scene, as you've mentioned, there was some hanging done. Oh, there's uh, hanging. Yeah. yeah. Hanging. And not and like was, not like chilling out on the couch watching a race or reborn no, kind of hanging. No, no. no, sure. <laughs> and we weren't like we weren't a step down from the ground. We were really hanging. Yikes. So that was really cool. To me, I, I love adrenaline, you know, things like that. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Jackie, before I let you go, obviously you never want to find yourself in this position in real life, right? Where you have to be erased or anything like that. But I couldn't help, I can't help but think about this while I'm watching this. So if you were ever in that position 
and you and you couldn't contact anyone from your old life. You had to disappear. Could you do it if you absolutely had to? Definitely. I'm I'm you know in terms of social media, it's not honestly my forte. I prefer to not to not be on it. So for me, that's easy. I'm not one to be on my phone very often either. I get a lot of slack for that as well. So personally, I think I definitely could. If this wasn't my, you know, career, I, I can definitely hide and you'll never find me. <laughs> well, hopefully nobody will find you for at least an hour and a half while you're sitting down and watching Eraser Reborn. Make sure you're getting it on Blu-ray. If you want the physical copy, please do that on June the 7th. Also going to be available on Digital HD as well from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And boy, the stuff that this woman does in this movie. I think you're really going to love <laughs> Rena. It's Jackie Lai. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was a wonderful interview, Jamie. And it is really interesting how they actually updated this movie for today's world because you absolutely had to do that, right, in order for this to even kind of make sense. And just like the original Eraser, this is one of those movies where you just got to sit back enjoy the action, enjoy the chase, and I think you could really have fun with this one. And I think that, that Jackie's character is one, Rena, that you're really, really going to fall in love with when you're watching Eraser Reborn. And again, make sure you're getting that on Blu-ray on June the 7th, also digital HD as well. Again, thanks to Jackie Lai for joining me this week to talk about Eraser Reborn up next. Yep, it's a big week for reviews. We'll start out with The Boys Season 3 next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sean Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to find out who can be the good soldier. Season 3 of The Boys has now begun on Prime Video. Gonna do spoiler-free on this one. I know, I know, but the first three episodes just dropped. I don't want to be the guy that spoils it for you. And yeah, it's gonna be pretty difficult to not do this with spoilers. But one thing that I thought that they did really well in this coming season, in this season three to start things off was what they did with Homelander's story. And you know, from the trailers that, you know, Homelander is, you know, trying to walk back the whole relationship with Stormfront and the whole Nazi thing. And he's trying to, you know, clean up his image and Vaught has a new, golden child of the seven let's just say that and that that is making homelander very very uncomfortable and you know kind of making him crack a little bit for the lack of uh, for the lack of better way of putting it but the way that they push that along in these first few episodes and you'll get a pretty good idea of where the season's going to be going in these first few episodes if you haven't started to watch them already i can tell you that much and, but I'll say that the the storyline the storyline with Homelander in this early going is very very interesting, and I'll say the same thing about Starlight too. Because remember, Huey's trying to do things the right way now, right? He's trying to do things through the government. He's trying to do things so that they're not. He's try he's teamed up with Congresswoman Newman. He's teamed up with Victoria, and they're going to try and do things the right way and take down the soups from the government side instead of going rogue with Butcher. And then Butcher, you see, is like kind of on the straight and narrow, right? He's, you know, the, the kid, he's promised that he's going to look after the kid. So we get to see him with the kid a little bit. And, you know, he's not really obsessing over soups anymore, even though he's still doing the work, right? But this, there's a little bit of an interesting way of how he's doing that 
as well. So, and but then you also see that, you know, he also becomes a soup at some point, right? So you have to see how he's going to deal with that. We do get to see how he's going to deal with that in these first few episodes and what pushes him to want to do that in the first place. Something very, very specific pushes him to want to do that. And you could say that for a lot of the characters that you know and love from this group of the boys. Everybody has that thing that's pushing them to go kind of fall into old habits is the best way that I can really put it without spoiling anything. So you get to see. And then I think that one thing you'd be surprised at is Kamiko's story in these first few episodes is a very interesting and almost heartbreaking one as well. You get to see some really good character work from Karen Fukuhara in these first few episodes that I think is really, really compelling for where this thing's going to go in this coming season. Because obviously she's one of the key members of the group. And to kind of see her in in a different way, you're going to see her in a different way a couple of times in these first few episodes. And it's going to make you wonder exactly, you know, how she's going to go about her business this season, quite frankly. Well, there, the, there's a couple of really big moments. Again, I'd really love to talk about this with spoilers, but I can't because it's too soon. One of them involves Starlight and Huey. There's a huge, huge moment with Starlight and Huey in these first few episodes. And kind of separately and, and together at the same time, there's some revelations that come about for Huey that really, really change things. And Starlight maybe. There's something that Starlight decides to do that also has some interesting consequences a little bit later on. And again, not going to spoil anything for you, but how that thing plays out, or even in these early episodes, is super interesting. And we find out something. There's something that we know about a certain character that nobody else knows. Okay, And I'm really trying to dance around this here. There's something we know that nobody else knows. And then you find something else out about this particular character. When you watch these episodes, I promise this will make sense. But when, when you, you also find out something else about this particular character that you didn't know either. Like, there's something that we know about this person that nobody else knows. But there's something that you haven't even found out yet. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. And you understand how that it's you think it's a small moment. It's not because it ends up changing everything about this season. Yes, we do get a little bit of soldier boy in this and the very little bit that I've seen. Jensen Eccles does a great job as soldier boy and and hopefully we'll get a lot more of that coming up in future episodes. I think what's going to be happening with a train is really, really interesting too because you know a train went through it last season and how is he now that his powers aren't what they used to be and what's going to be going on with deep i think you'll be very interested in as well because i gotta tell you the the, the, it's always something that that involves the deep that can make things feel uncomfortable and there's there's certainly one moment in these first few that that just made my skin crawl like really, really made my skin crawl. And, and again, 
there there is a catalyst to that. There is a catalyst to a lot of the moments that make me cringe about this show. But that's the beauty of the storytelling of this show. That's not a criticism. That's one of the things that Eric Kripke and company are able to do is they're trying to make us feel uncomfortable on purpose because it takes you out of your comfort zone. That's one of the brilliant things about this show is to show superheroes in a different light and how they could be if superheroes were real and imagine the horrors of how that could be. And there's a moment in the third episode. It's actually kind of the second into the third episode involving Homelander, where it's that moment where you go, I was waiting for this to happen. And now that it has, all bets are off. And that is an incredible. And the, the way they pulled that off was really, really great. And we're going to find something out about Grace Mallory, too, that's going to surprise you. A little bit. There are a lot of surprises in these first few few episodes that you're not necessarily expecting. There's a there's a couple that you are not going to lie. There's a couple that you're going to be expecting, but there's also at least two, if not three, that you're not ready for, and and it helps really define what this third season of the boys is going to be. And the first three episodes now streaming on Prime Video. And I got to tell you, the, the, this is going to be maybe the craziest season yet just because of the reveals we get in this first few episodes. And if I'm saying that, knowing what this show's already done over the first two seasons, if I'm saying this could be the craziest season ever and I mean it, then you know that some weird, weird stuff and some crazy stuff is going to be going down. So give yourself enough time to be able to watch all three of these episodes back to back to back. I will tell you that much. Don't try and watch this in, in, in fragments. Try to block off a few hours to be able to watch these all the way from one to three because you're not going to want to stop watching and you're going to be waiting for that next episode to come out the following week. I can tell you that much right now. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of The Boys Season 3, the first few episodes. Up next, hey, it's finally time to talk about Stranger Things. Guess what? This time we'll do it with spoilers. And it'll be next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Wander with us into a world of magic. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with and reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. We'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hey guys, it's Jake Manley from Netflix's The Order, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Fire up the Kate Bush and let's be superheroes. Season 4, Volume 1 of Stranger Things is in the books. My spoiler-filled review happening right now. Yeah, I wanted to wait until I could do this with spoilers because it's just more fun to talk about it that way. So that's what I'm going to do. So if you haven't finished it yet, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. I got to say, I'm not, again, this isn't one of those times where I'm going to go through every single moment of the season, but I will say this. I knew how long the episodes were going to be, and I was actually kind of concerned I wouldn't be able to finish it in time to review it for you guys, I'll be honest. But it was such an easy and quick binge, I didn't notice that the episodes were as long as they were. And one of the reasons for that, I think, was how well they were able to balance all of the different stories 
that were going on here in such a good way. And every time they'd cut away from one story to the next, I didn't find myself drifting back to the other stories. Like when they cut to Hopper in the prison, I didn't find myself drifting drifting to, well, what's happening with Eddie? What's happening with Dustin? What's happening with with Mike and Elle? I wasn't drifting to any of that stuff. I was in whatever moment that I was being placed in. And given the fact that they had so many different stories going on here, that says a lot. So to be able to keep my interest throughout each of these stories, even though they kind of all came together in, in various parts of these first seven episodes, I think that the way that they were able to balance it was really, really great. And I've got to say, and again, I'm going to be bouncing around a lot here, so just buckle up for that. Sadie Sink, right off the bat, I, I got to single her out because Max was such an amazing character this season. I loved Max last season too, but Sadie Sink just takes it to another level in, in this season. And Dear Billy, episode four. Yeah, that episode, that was the one I saw the most on social media while I was trying to avoid spoilers, was once you get to episode four, look out. And I got to tell you, episode four, big time, lived up to the hype. And Sadie Sink was a major reason for that. And then you've got to bring, you got to bring Lucas in there. You've got to bring Dustin in there as well. And just the, the, the way that they helped, the, the way that they helped her. And, and Steve, Steve, just every time, every season, I've loved Steve more and more and more. And, and you kind of remember hating him in season one. You remember that? I do. And I, and, I, and I feel bad for it now. I'm actually mad at myself for hating him in season one. They did a good job at making us kind of hate him in season one. But boy, is that character come a long way. I'm going to say the same thing about Erica Sinclair, too, because she annoyed the hell out of me so many times when I was watching Stranger Things over the years. And now it's like, I love this girl, right? Like she's got that, that spirit that she has. Her smart assery was, is just off the charts, but it, it's now it's, it's like it's being used for good instead of evil kind of thing. And when she was in Hellfire... And they were playing D&D, and she was right in there with Dustin. I was loving it. And then you see how she's, and she's smarter than they've given her credit for over the years. There's no question about that. We actually get to see her in the mix towards the end of the season, and I really thought that that was amazing. So those two characters in particular, I, well, I was three because we want to throw Max in there. I really enjoyed throughout this season. And it was a little uncomfortable, honestly, seeing Eleven as Jane and seeing her struggle with being bullied and things like that. You know, obviously that that spoke to me as somebody who's been bullied in my life. It spoke to me. And to see her powerless like that, not just losing her actual powers, but powerless in the fact that she there was nothing that she could do. And if you've ever felt that in your life, I think you felt Millie Bobby Brown in those moments as Jane and even as Elle outside of that. I think you felt those moments. And then when she smacks that girl in the head with that roller skate, it, 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 it's, it's almost like this, this thing triggered in her. And, and you, 
you never want to see anybody have to get to that level, right? You really don't. And then that sort of springboards into the people that are looking for her and everything's starting to either fall apart or come together. That's that's kind of the way that you you know you need to interpret that your own way. Because when Owen shows up, you're thinking, okay, is this a good thing or a bad thing? When you see Brenner, you, you're automatically, your caution light goes on. I know mine did. And I still was like keeping my eye on it this entire the entire time. Although I will say that during the, the Nina project, I, I kind of figured out that sequence of secrets that we got revealed in that last episode. I kind of had that figured out already. I think that they dropped some good enough hints. That, you know, you follow the breadcrumbs and you kind of find out that biggest spoiler of this review that one is Vecna. Yeah, I think that you kind of you kind of were able to get there or at least uh, I now one being responsible for killing everyone that I didn't necessarily have. But I had kind of connected the dots up to that point. And that really sets up a great final showdown between Vecna and Eleven coming up in the second volume. You, you assume anyway that that's what's going to happen. But and again, the 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 relationship too between Eleven and Mike, I thought was an interesting one, because you know her not just her being alone extended beyond just her being miles away from him. It was the the wording in the letters. And again, yeah, be real careful with making sure you say how you feel if that's how you feel. And that is something that was abundantly clear <laughs> when it was when it was concerned with their relationship. And then you could almost put that into the consideration for Hopper and and Joyce as well, right? There's a lot left unsaid there, but look at the lengths that Joyce was willing to go to to get to Hopper. I mean, that the, the way that that whole sequence worked out was incredible to me. I loved watching that whole thing come to pass. And the fact that she just kind of left the kids there was obviously, you know, they're older kids. And she feels like they could take care of themselves in a certain regard. But the fact that she was willing to leave Will after Will's everything that Will's been going through, that, that should tell you all that you need to know right there. That that's how strongly she feels for Hopper. And and well, obviously, you know, she wants to help him, sure. You know, that that's that's another kind of given. But the the way that she was able to do that was was just incredible on that whole trip to to Russia that was that was a fun sequence tense sure but it was a fun sequence as well and and you know the way that things played out with Mike and Will and and Jonathan and their little journey to Utah that was fun so it wasn't just all serious there are some fun moments in there as well I thought they did a great job at propping Vecna up as the baddest villain that they've had so far and the way that they kind of connected the dots to the mind flayer and how things relate to the upside down and, and you know where the gates are and how they come to, how they come to pass as well. I thought that that was really neat. And the whole Victor Creel story, connecting this Creel house and the Creel family to this, that was genuine spooky stuff. The way they really leaned into the horror really well in this first half of the fourth season in a way that I don't think they have in a long time quite frankly. So they were able to have a little fun, a little bit of fun, but at the same time, they were also really able to lean into that horror aspect and just seeing the brutal nature 
of what Vecna is capable of. And then you bring Barb back into the whole thing, right? Because, of course, Vecna is preying on people who have done bad things or have that, you know, the deep-seated guilt or something that's been eating away at them. That's how he sort of chooses his victims. And you find out that that's what happened to Barb all along, all those years ago. It wasn't like a Demogorgon or anything like that. No, no, no. It was Vecna all along going all the way back to season one. So that was, and, and you know, now again, one of our cliffhangers is what's going on, what's going to happen with Nancy, right? So that that's one thing that we've got to think about heading into see, to the second volume of season four and, you know, on top of a whole bunch of other things. But I loved the real, the developing friendship between Nancy and Robin, I thought was a lot of fun. I really loved that. Eddie Munson, I don't know how you don't love Eddie. I, I think that, you know, that that's a character that I wish we've got, we'd have gotten a little bit sooner. Wouldn't have made sense if we did, of course. But if we'd have gotten him sooner, I, I would have loved to enjoy Eddie's character a little bit longer. The fractured relationship between the core group of the boys, I thought it was something that's a coming-of-age thing that just sort of happens to groups of friends as you get older, right? And then how they started to grow apart. And maybe they're going to start to slowly come back together again. We sort of see that with Lucas and Dustin and, and that group as well. But, you know, how's that? And you saw the relationship between Mike and Will and how they kind of drifted too. That just sort of happens with boys as you get older. So I thought that that was a nice true-to-life part of this story. There's so many loose ends that need to be tied up. And you understand why these final two episodes are going to be as long as they are. But I got to say, overall... Again, the way they were able to balance this thing and you gave us the camaraderie between the group, you gave us the chemistry between these characters that we know and love, the way you introduced the newer characters I thought was great. The fact that now the government is after L adds an extra added element of difficulty for how they're going to solve this problem of Vecna and the Upside Down and can they solve it? Ultimately, you feel like they're going to, but at the same time, they've created a genuine sense of doubt here as to whether or not they're actually going to be able to pull this off. And I think we're going to be losing some people in these final couple episodes. I don't like it any more than you do. And I don't know that I can name names here, but I think we're going to be losing some people, some characters that we really love in, in these upcoming episodes, final couple of episodes that are going to be coming up on July the 1st. And and it's scary, man, because this, this is a show that really... You know, maybe wasn't as good as it was in the first season in two or three, even though I enjoyed them both. This fourth season shows you why we fell in love with the show in the first place. Certainly why I fell in love with it in the first place and what they were able to do to kind of, I think, recapture the magic of the first season in such an advanced way, the way that they've brought these characters up. These last several years, I thought that a masterful job by the Duffer Brothers and company, everybody that worked on Stranger Things season four. And yes, the end is near, but it's going to be a big one. That's going to do it for my spoiler filled review of Stranger Things season four. Volume one up next is if that's not enough. There's still some nerd news to get to. Let's do it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brittany Ishibashi from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
When you add a rising star to your cast, the odds are definitely in your favor. It's time for nerd news, and I actually want to start off with the Hunger Games prequel, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, the new movie adaptation going to be coming in 2023. And a big casting announcement was just made this past week. Rachel Zegler going to be joining the cast. Of course, Tom Blythe is already going to be playing a young Corneola Snow on this in this movie. And then you also have Rachel Zegler, who is going to be playing Lucy Gray Baird. Now, if you're not familiar with the book, here's the deal. This is why this character is so important, because herein lies the intrigue for the story. If you were wondering why you should care about an 18-year-old Snow before he becomes the tyrannical president of Pan Am. Here's the thing. Apparently, Baird is the female tribute from District 12. Now, this is right after the war, and she is being mentored by Snow for the Hunger Games. She, she, had a, she sang at the reaping ceremony, and Snow's like, okay, hold on. This could actually put the odds in your favor. You know, no, no pun intended there. And this turns into, you know, some showmanship, some political savvy that are going to be combined here between the two of them. And anytime you're talking about the Hunger Games, it's a race against time. But you're also going to find out, they say, who's the songbird and who's the snake? Well, if one of them is a good singer and the other one is someone we know that grows up to be a tyrant, what do you think? But... How they get there and how they navigate the games, which I think you know should be at least kind of part of this movie, right? Then that is where, to me, the intrigue really lies in this thing. And you've got to be excited when you've got somebody like Rachel Zegler that joins your cast. I mean, Tom Blythe is, is still an up-and-comer. Rachel Zegler is as well, but being in West Side Story with Steven Spielberg kind of puts her on another level just because of that notoriety that that movie's gotten. You combine these two, and if they've got a good chemistry, then all of the sudden, this movie goes from something where you're, eh, we're not sure, to once again having the Hunger Games be the juggernaut that it always was. This franchise has made billions of dollars across the world. You didn't think they were just going to let it alone, did you? Well, now we have until November of 2023 to find out whether or not this is going to be any good or not. Could this springboard another billions of dollars for the Hunger Games franchise? And think about it. This whole thing started with some very unknown names in the cast. And then all of a sudden, you've got these characters that are household names. And Jennifer Lawrence being Katniss Everdeen, it was about the chemistry of that cast. The writing, you know, the writing had something to do with it too. Suzanne Collins gave the team a good base to work with. But it was the chemistry between the cast members that, that really, really sold it. Jennifer Lawrence and Josh Hutcherson and, and company. That is what really sold this franchise to fans. There were already people that loved the book, but at the same time, if you don't pick the right people to play these characters, then it doesn't matter. So bringing that to life on the screen is of utmost importance. And when you get, again, a couple of up-and-comers here, the, you have to trust that everybody knows what they're doing based on past experience, right? Or do you kind of worry because it's been a while and maybe the shine's off it 
a little bit. Well, before you feel that way, remember we just talked about Avatar and the Avatar sequel that's, you know, decades later and how popular that is still with fans, that first trailer breaking records. I can't imagine people are just going to forget about the Hunger Games and throw it up on a shelf, whether you've been a fan of the books for a while or not. I, I, I think there's plenty of people that are still pretty, you know, that have been waiting for this. And the book's been out for two years as well. So that's been able to certainly gain its own amount of popularity. So it looks like they're off to a pretty good start as far as casting is concerned. Again, we'll have to wait until November 17, 2023 to find out what Lionsgate has in store for us with The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It was another pretty good week for trailers this week, and one of them that's still being talked about right now is for the CW series Gotham Knights, which, again, not going to be coming out until 2023. It's funny that we didn't get this trailer during the upfronts. There had to be kind of a reason for that. But once I saw this trailer for the first time, and there, there's a lot of fans that are very upset about this trailer... Yeah, it does have a little bit of a Riverdale vibe. I'll be honest. Of course, you know, in in Gotham Knights, Bruce Wayne is dead. And that's just kind of thrown the entire city of Gotham into a tailspin. And then you have his adopted ward, Turner Hayes, who's kind of being accused of killing his dad. And then you've also got the group of Harper Rowe and Cullen Rowe. And you've also got Duella Dent. That is that it's a part of this. They're all kind of being accused of murdering Bruce Wayne. But surprise, surprise, the trailer shows us that, yeah, the Gotham PD very much involved in this whole thing and looking to cover it up. So how are they going to clear their name, one? And two, how are they going to protect Gotham? Because Carrie Kelly apparently is our Robin in this scenario. And I got to say, I, even though... I, I'm still definitely concerned myself after seeing this trailer because things seem to be a little bit all over the place, if I'm being honest. It just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of cohesion here's, here. But Navia Robert, Robinson, who plays Carrie Kelly, really, really stood out to me in this trailer. She's very likable. She's smart. She's got some skills. Obviously, that chemistry that she has with Oscar Morgan, who plays Turner Hayes, I think is very, very evident in this trailer. And, there, you know, obviously there's some fun to be had here. You've got Olivia Rose Keegan, who plays Duella, who looks like she's going to be the, the, the fun one of the group. Harper Rowe is, seems like she's everybody's fierce as she is in the comics and very protective of Cullen, too, which, again, is not going to surprise anyone who knows Bluebird and Harper Rowe from the comics. And then you've got Misha Collins is Harvey Dent, and you can't really get a beat on him from this trailer, right? It seems like he's sympathetic to what Turner's going through, but is it like a mock sympathetic? Is he trying to hide something? Of course, it seems like he probably is just based on, again, the fact of what Harvey Dent becomes eventually. But, you know, you don't know how this timeline's going to play out because, again, it's the CW. They take liberties with the comics source material. No question about that. And you know what? Here's the deal, though. If you're already kind of saying that this isn't for you based on one trailer, and that that's kind of a shame because I, I feel like this is one you've got to let it 
play out past the pilot, too. I don't think you could judge this even just based on the pilot. Obviously, it's going to be a while before we're going to be able to see that. But I think that this is one that you're going to have to give it a, a couple of episodes to see how it's going to play out. We've also got Stephanie Brown that's going to be a part of this as well, and she's kind of very good friends with Turner, so she's already established in this world as well, and eventually, you know, you probably kind of bring her into the fold as the as one of the protectors of Gotham slash, you know, one of the members of this team trying to clear their names. So while there's names you know character-wise, probably not the same characters that you know from the comics, but again, younger audience, maybe you give it a chance and see how it goes. If you've already prejudged the Arrowverse, and I'm not even sure you can call this an Arrowverse show yet, but if you've already prejudged the Arrowverse and you automatically think this isn't going to be for you, then it's probably not. But I'm going to go into this with an open mind and see where this whole thing goes because, again, the, the, the thing that we're starting off with is that Bruce Wayne and Batman are dead, and now we're going to have to just kind of go from there. So... How does that whole thing play out? Who ultimately ends up being responsible? When do we find out who's responsible? All of these are questions that we're going to need answers to, and I don't know. And I think depending on when we get those answers, we'll go a lot as to whether or not this show is going to be successful or not. Also, I want to talk about a new movie that's going to be coming out from 20th Century Studios, going straight to Hulu, and that is The Princess. It'll be out on July the 1st. On Hulu, this is starring Joey King, who is an Emmy nominee. You might remember from The Act and The Kissing Booth. And again, not your traditional princess at all. She's strong-willed. She doesn't want to marry the the person that her parents have picked out for her. Not atypical of a princess. And, you know, Dominic Cooper kind of plays the villain in this whole thing. Kind of plays the, you know, he's the, he's the betrothed. Is that the, pro- the proper term, betrothal? I think I think it is anyway. And uh, apparently he's a sociopath. And, you know, why would anybody want to marry a sociopath? So they kind of, you know, they lock her up. And guess what? You think she's just going to sit there when she's not the typical princess? No, 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 no. So she's, yeah, she's definitely a little bit crude. She's She can certainly handle herself. We see her, you know, pretty much beating the hell out of anyone that stands in her way. She's jumping out of windows. She's she's doing some really, really crazy stuff. So we see some really cool stunts in this trailer. And it looks like she's going to get a little bit of help along the way as well. So, I mean, this one looks like it could be fun. Again, we're not trying to, to you know, reinvent anything here. It doesn't look like it doesn't, you know, we're not trying to make things overly complicated. You just want to see a story about a princess who's not your traditional you know, princess or certainly a damsel in distress, but a damsel that can put other people in distress, certainly. And, you know, Dominic Cooper's, I think, going to be really fun in a villain role here. He has that kind of charisma about him, and we don't get to see a ton of him in this trailer, but hopefully we get to see more in the next one. But this is one I, I, I think could be, has it is to be really fun, The Princess on Hulu coming out on July the 1st. This one caught my eye, too. There's a new animated series coming to Netflix. Don't have a release date for it yet, but it's called Oni Thunder God's Tale. Now, this is a very interesting CG animation style. It is not really your traditional CG animation style that you might be used to seeing. And credit for that, obviously, 
goes to the amazing animation studio, Tonko House Incorporated, that is going to be a part of this. And then you've got you have got Dise Susumi, who's going to be the dra- who's going to be the showrunner for this thing as well. And it's almost like you get a little bit of that almost you know you know kind of mixing in a like a like a peg figure kind of feel or in not I don't want to say claymation because that's not really the the best way to describe it but you've got the animation mixed in with what almost looks like handcrafted elements in this thing if that makes if that makes any sense well you see the trailer go to downandnerdypodcast.com to see the trailer and you, you'll see what I'm talking about but again it just feels different there's the, and there's a vibrancy to this as well but it really also the way that thing, this thing is presented it really sells the dark fantasy element of the story as well and the synopsis tells us this is a world that's going to be filled with oddball gods and monsters from Japanese mythology so that is also something that I think is really really cool because we don't get that in a whole lot of stuff and one of the characters that we'll focus on in this story is Onari who's basically one of the creature's daughters Who's a free spirit, kind of determined to follow in the footsteps of the heroes, but how her powers have not been revealed yet. So you know she has to find. There, there's a fight that to protect the village from these threat of the gods' mysterious enemies, who are the oni, and we get to see a little bit of that teased in the the first look trailer that was released by Netflix this week. It's just again any world of dark fantasy. It seems like dark fantasy based on this first look anyway. But this fantasy world looks like it could be very, very intriguing, especially for like a middle grade age. I think that this kind of goes into that wheelhouse a little bit. But if you grew up a fan of fantasy, I think as an adult, you could also kind of morph your way into this. And it seems like really, really enjoy it. Again, this is just a first impression based on the teaser that was sent out. But this is one that I think has a chance to be special if given the opportunity. And you've got some names that jump out in the in the voice cast that were announced. You've got George Takei that's going to be a part of this. You've also got Craig Robinson, Brittany Shibashi, who we've had on the show before. You've got Archie Yates, Mamona Tamara, Tamara, excuse me. And the, whole, the list goes on and on and on. Again, you want to go to downandnerdypodcast.com. For that full list. But I got to say, again, this is this is one where I saw the animation style and it immediately grabbed me. So once there's a release date, I'll let you know. Oni Thunder God's Tale, which is going to be coming to Netflix. I want to sneak this in, too, because I felt like this was an important piece of news that's maybe kind of being lost in the shuffle this week. And that there's a shakeup at Warner Brothers. And, of course, you know the Warner Brothers Discovery merger that's just happening happen and Toby Emmerich is going to be stepping down as CEO. I'm doing air quotes when I say that because I'm not sure that this is one that's really his choice. My words not anybody else's. It just had, you know, when mergers like this happen, if things aren't going well and usually things aren't going well if there's a merger, then a lot of the executives that are at the top end up leaving either by choice or forced choice and it just kind of feels like that's kind of where this is headed. Michael DeLuca and Pamela Abdi are going to be co-CEOs. Of course, they were previously at MGM, so Amazon going to have to release them from their contracts. 
that that kind of looks like a done deal. Now, apparently, this is all according to the Hollywood Reporter, by the way. Walter Hamada is going to remain in charge of DC films in the DC universe, but reporting right to DeLuca and Abdi. Not necessarily the best sign, right? And then you get this report that Joker director Todd Phillips is being courted by Warner Brothers Discovery as kind of an overall advisor to DC Films and the DC Universe. And here's the deal. It seems like reports are saying that Phillips and the new CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav, are, have a good rapport. They get along. So it wouldn't, you know, you want to bring your friends in when you can, right? Or somebody that you get along with to work with. And apparently Zaslav's been talking to, to Bob Iger and other folks that have worked at Disney about kind of balancing all of these different IPs and film studios and things like that. And, and how do you kind of build what was built by Disney and Marvel, quite frankly? Now, do I think that they're just going to go ahead and adopt that model? Not necessarily. I think that they that if they're smart, they still want to give the directors the creative freedom that they've had in past movies. I think you and that that's very attractive to directors too. So I think you want to kind of still do that, but at the same time, you do. They've never really had that figurehead at DC Films that was the Kevin Feige type that you could just trust. To make all of the right decisions. Now some of that's luck and some of that's design. And what percentage you give that is sort of up to you. But at the same time, I think it's very, very interesting that we've end up we ended up getting to this point and that it's kind of taken this long for Toby Emmerich to be ousted by Warner Brothers. And it took a merger. Now think about it. This is the second merger under Emmerich's watch. First it was AT&T, now Warner Brothers Discovery. Again, that doesn't exactly scream success. When there's been two mergers, two takeovers, in the time that you've been there. That should tell you a lot. So whether it's going to be Todd Phillips or whether it's going to be someone else, it looks like they're going to kind of break things up in a Warner Brothers Pictures slash New Line, and then DC is going to have their own, and then Animation is going to have their own oversight as well. That's that seems like it's kind of going to be the plan here. And it, while this discovery merger does concern me because I'm not totally sold on the fact that they're willing to spend the money necessary to do what needs to be done. I, I do think that this is kind of a good step in the right direction. Get some fresh eyes, get some new leadership there. I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that Hamada is out as chief of DC films. Not too long from now would not shock me if that happens, and especially if they find somebody that they feel like is better for the job. Again, the, the previous regime is not going to be looked upon too fondly, I think, by this new regime. So this is one that's definitely worth keeping an eye on in the coming months and certainly in the, for the rest of this year to see how it plays out because I wouldn't be surprised if we are not done with these changes for sure. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, very, very important that if you like the show, subscribe to the show. Follow the show, whether it be on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to us, make sure you're following. Share the show. Tell your friends at a critical point with the podcast right now. I want to make sure that I can still bring you guys 
the best content possible. And it's very, very important now that you subscribe to the show where you can. And again, this is impossible without you. You want the show to keep going. You want me to still keep bringing you the same stuff I've been bringing you. Tell your friends to subscribe to the show as well. Listen, interact with me too. I'd love to hear from you, whether it be at downandnerdypodcast.com or on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter or on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Going to be running some more contests too. There's going to be stuff that you can win. If you're existing subscriber, yeah, you're eligible for this thing too. You just have to follow the instructions on how to enter. And there's just one step that you won't have to take if you're already a subscriber or if you're already a follower on social media. All you got to do is let me know that you want to enter and then and, and you're entered and you'll get extra entries for doing that as well. So some some cool stuff that's going to be coming up along the way. And I really, really, again, appreciate your support. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Hi, I'm Madigan from Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, the podcast that explores the world through a personal, intersectional feminist perspective. I bring you two episodes a week. Every Monday, I cover something from a wide variety of topics, covering everything from feminist faves throughout history like Audre Lorde, listener coming out stories, and other hot-button topics like toxic masculinity and the Me Too movement as well as plenty feminist history, the good and the controversial. And then every Friday, I bring you a mini What's in the News episode to keep you up to date with everything that's going on today in the world. And with over 580 episodes available to you right now, there's plenty of good stuff to listen to. You can listen to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminists wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rage on. Bye. Bye.